All right, guys. So um, I think we've heard this come up a few times today um, in, a, in a bunch of different settings, which I think is probably not surprising, which is, great, so you're doing all this stuff with humans plus machines, but how do you measure it and know if you're getting better or not? Like, it's very hard to improve on any system without measuring it. And one of the fundamental challenges, of course, of using people and machines is that they're hard to measure on their own, and they're really hard to measure when you start sticking them together. So this panel, and I think the discussion will be all about, like, great, so how do we actually do this? Um, two different opinions coming from different perspectives. Why don't you start by introducing yourselves and talking a little bit about what it is what you do, and really importantly, how do you measure it? Awesome. Yeah, so my name is Alex Nucci. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Blanket. We are automating sales development. So that's tracking towards a goal, let's say booking a demo, then building an audience that gets you those demos. So who, what, what people inside which companies should we be reaching out to? Um, we then email on behalf of our customers, uh, and then we build landing pages where, where they convert. They book a demo on that page. So for the sake of AI and how we track what people do, uh, I'll give you an example uh, of an actual customer of ours. So. Um, they want us to reach out to snack companies that are sold in Whole Foods or Trader Joe's or whatever the case might be. This is data that doesn't exist out there, so we need to source it ourselves. We have people that go out, visit Whole Foods, visit Trader Joe's, download the data, tag it with the proper information. Uh, we then normalize it and inject it into emails and reach out to these companies saying, hey, we saw that you're a snack that is sold at Whole Foods. Are you interested in such and such product? So it's extremely important for us to, uh, one, maintain track, uh, like, keep track of unit economics, like are we doing this efficiently? Uh, two, be able to track, uh, track every tasker. So like every person that submits, submits this data point, we're gonna reuse it again and again hundreds of times, so we need to make sure that it's accurate. Um, and um, just essentially being able to, over time, pick the best taskers that we're gonna assign to other uh, jobs that we'll, that we'll do. Um, yep, Sami Ghosh, uh, nice to see everyone. Uh, I'm a co-founder and the CTO of Forethought. Forethought is a Series A company, uh, purely AI focused, but we actually power the AI piece in AAI for other companies. Uh, so our mission is to make everyone a genius at their job. So we're very focused on augmenting people as opposed to automating them. Uh, we're focused on customer support for now. Uh, initially, we went in um, kind of offering proactive search for customer support. So we'll embed inside of um, the most popular customer support help desks, Salesforce, SendDesk, FreshDesk, et cetera. And um, as questions come in from customers, uh, the support reps will see our, uh, in the sidebar, our uh, AI assistant called Agatha. Uh, uh, and she predicts what she thinks is the most relevant um, answer from a previous interaction with the customer. Um, that's that's the, still our main use case, but we've actually uh, found out that some things, it's actually better for us to just fully automate. Uh, but we're still very much focused on augmenting people. And so the way that we measure um, our success is, is a few different ways. One is kind of standard, is there engagement with our product? If people aren't staring at our product and interacting with it, clicking on buttons, most likely we're not being very helpful. That's kind of standard. There's a few other things where it gets kind of interesting. Uh, one is accuracy, um, as in we're leaving answers. There are, eventually when, when cases are being closed, there are answers that are committed by the, the humans. We try to measure how closely related our answers were to those outcomes. And that's kind of a chicken and egg problem because if you have the best way of, of measuring 
whether two answers are the same, then you semantically, then you've kind of solved the initial problem, which is question answering and search. Um, but in some cases, especially if you're being conservative, if you see like 60 words in a row that are the same, then you know they use your answer, most likely. Um, there's one really interesting thing that we do which actually feeds into our pricing model. Uh, we'll run A-B tests silently in the background. And so um, on a randomly selected subset of tickets, we end up doing nothing. Uh, we kind of mask that by saying, oh, we weren't confident enough to show you anything. Let's not waste your time, which is something that we do in general anyway. Sometimes we're not confident. We don't want to lead people down the wrong path. Um, but in almost in all the other cases, which is over 95% of the time, we're doing our best, doing everything we can to, to make sure people um, are solving their cases more quickly, which makes them more productive. They can solve more cases per unit of time. And along with all the other things that customer support uh, orgs care about, like time to resolution, number of touch points, et cetera. And so once we're able to show um, improvements in these metrics, on an unbiased A-B test, um, that's sort of the holy grail for us. That's also how we can justify the ROI and the pricing. Yeah, so I think like um, my co-founder on Finn Cortina, who's somewhere here, was, was always talks about how, in the end of the day, for any system, like you basically care about, and it's come up a few other times today, like something along the lines of like ARPU, right? Or it's like, you know, revenue customer, like these like very core business metrics. And then everything you're doing is kind of backing off of those metrics, either through quality, right? Being like were these better answers which we think lead to those outcomes, or through efficiency, right? The cost structure, and you kind of back off from there. But when these systems get very complicated, the problem is the more abstract the metric is, the harder it is to see impact. Whereas the flip side is, the more direct a measure you take, in a lot of cases, the harder it is to like, see the ultimate business insight or, or the business value at the end. I'm kind of curious how you guys have seen in your experiences operating a system like this or integrating with them. Like, how do you balance those? Like, how do you think about which metrics to be tracking over time uh, in kind of these very complicated systems? I can go. Um, sure. Yeah, that, so that, that definitely resonates with me. Um, we, so we're um, a SaaS company, so we have large enterprises that use our product, and we need to onboard them. And because we're augmenting people, we need to train those people to use our software and know how it works. So um, there's kind of a life cycle of a person with our product. Initially, all we care about is the very direct, easy to measure things, which are engagement. Are you even an, an activated user who knows that we exist and understands what, what we do? Uh, so activation, we measure that immediately. Then we have some definitions around um, what makes someone an engaged user. So they have to be activated, but then uh, they have to be solving X percent of their tickets through us by clicking some really specific buttons. Um, that's, that's kind of easy to, to measure because it, it's direct. Um, but we can't take that and, and go, especially the way that we price, we can't kind of justify our pricing, which is not on the lower end, but <laughs> is, is worth it. Uh, this, that's what we that's say. That's a good tagline. Not on the lower end, but worth it. Yeah, I mean, this, and, and we prove it with our ROI. So that, that's really why we need to have those numbers. Uh, but initially, we, you know, if there is no engagement, people don't know where your product lives, what it does even, there's no point in going to, to look at these second-order metrics, which is really, like you said, what the business cares about. First, you, you know, if you know the first-order uh, metrics 
are necessary for the second order ones, and they're easier to track anyway. You go for those. At least that's that's how we've done it. Yeah. And then the second one. And how do you think about it? I mean, in a very complicated human plus machine context, how do you know if you're doing a good job? Uh, well, <coughs> for us, it's uh, we follow a very typical marketing funnel, like. Uh, our customers are buying leads. A blanket qualified lead is a product that we sell. If the campaign is not generating leads, it's either the content or the data that we're using in that content. Um, so we have few variables. Uh, are people responding to emails? Like, are, are we generating a positive response? And then we make a decision whether it's a content creator, uh, which we do have a, task, a similar tasker system to manage that, uh, or are we reaching out to the wrong leads? Like, okay, this is a problem we had right now. We, we have an audience that is for fitness. Uh, we're reaching out to, we're tagging companies that are in the fitness space, but they make fitness equipment, and maybe that's not an, an exact match. So that happened on a certain percentage, and this is stuff that we have to go back into and clean out. Um, so we just look at the response that we're getting on emails or how many demos we're booking, and uh, we just make a decision whether, so if the data is available out there and we can buy it uh, from a data enrichment provider, uh, can we scrape it, normalize it, and source it from our taskers uh, more efficiently. If we can't, we'll buy it. And if it's new data that we're generating, we'll, we'll just tra track it down to how many demos is it generating for us. So at the end of the day, just ROI for our customer dictates all this stuff pretty quickly. Yeah, I get that long term. I guess one of the interesting things I've found looking at a lot of systems like this is one of the big challenges with people is the variance of performance. Right, so the second you introduce humans into a system versus a purely technical system, it's not like a server, right, that's gonna do exactly the same thing pretty much every time and can run a memory or whatever, but it's like a standardized unit. But you have this like bell curve of performance, right? How do you think about that, especially when you start thinking about tenure adjusting because some people, you know, they, they have ramp up time, and there's so many variables. Uh, have you guys learned any tricks of the trade or ways to kind of normalize uh, performance or data to give you signal, right, in terms of measuring these human-in-the-loop systems? Uh, so we're relatively young in this. Uh, I'll tell you what we're doing or trying to implement, uh, which is not fully uh, done yet. We're actually working on that right now this week. But, um, of course, different taskers or different agents are better at sourcing data. So we're working on a system that, uh, every data point in our database, uh, should, you should be able to track where it came from. Uh, the people are submitting them in batches. The agent is submitting the batch. Uh, and then we can track um, um, and, and remove data from an agent entirely. We find out they're submitting. You know, it's lower quality at a large enough scale. Uh, so that's the end result. The way we start is we build a process. Uh, we ask a researcher to build a process. We use Fin Analytics to, at this stage. Uh, so we're tracking how they're research, researching for the data. If it's repeatable and if it's not a one-time process, we'll build a, a workflow. Uh, then after somebody has worked on this workflow for long enough, uh, we then get unit economics, how much is it going to cost long-term. And then if we can standardize it, then we'll pump it into a task system. We'll pay a bounty for every data point that we're generating um, uh, that the tasker is submitting. And then we just track quality on the operator that is submitting, and we'll be able to essentially cleanse data if we need to or give high priority to somebody if it's a higher value item uh, and essentially reward the best uh, data generators. Sammy, what about you? How have you guys yeah. thought about these types of problems? Uh, so, so for us, we're able to track uh, everything about every agent who's using our system. But it's, um, we're very mindful of correlations versus causation. And so it, it ends up, even here, going back to A-B tests. Uh, luckily, so it's, it's very true that um, agents who are at a different um, stage in their employment, maybe if you're new, will have very different engagement patterns and uh, sometimes a lot higher ROI. 
uh, in part because maybe if, if you're an expert and you've been there a long time, you're less inclined to trust an AI or you're kind of set in your ways. But once you're onboarding, you're um, very happy to, that you have a tool that helps you do that. Um, often enough, uh, almost every time, people are split up into categories of like L1, L2, L3 kind of difficulty of, of cases that they're solving, uh, which is a good thing because if you group people together, you kind of eliminate a lot of the variance around uh, individual people having some kinds of biases. Um, but still, within each one of these buckets, we're looking at our A-B test to, to tell uh, what the ROI looks like in each bucket. And then some of them will look significantly higher than others, and we'll just report all of it. Yeah, so before you even get to like doing your analyses, you're minimum splitting by tenure, and then also splitting by like task difficulty or like category of agent. Yeah, yeah. And, and do you have to go further? Do you have to look at workflows, for instance? So often, yes. And uh, so we have a you know, customer success manager, sales engineer, a, a lot of AE, a lot of what we do initially when we're onboarding, onboarding is understanding the workflow uh, for agents, which takes, takes a bit of time. Um, um, and and we'll, often, it, it takes a little bit of trial and error. Like some things uh, we won't be told, and then we'll figure out. But um, eventually, uh, there definitely is a different workflow for different people, but uh, there's a small, finite number for each company. Yeah. yeah. So how do you think about I mean, it? One thing I always think is interesting is like you think about how are you going to measure these complicated systems and drive them. You do one strategy, which is hold out groups effectively, yeah. right? Yeah. And you can do that continuously. The cost of that, obviously, is that 1% of users is getting a worse experience. Right? So, so um, it's a good point. It's not by user. Uh, the nice thing in customer 1 support. 1% of tickets. Exactly. So uh, yeah. yeah, it's, it's uh, equal opportunity holdout. Uh, but, um, and and you, you, it's a large sample size. There's like a million tickets. Um, and so you don't have to make that a high percentage. Sure. But it's still, like, yeah, just to push you, 10,000 totally. of a million, 10,000 people are going to have yeah. a presumably worse experience, yes. right? Um, yeah, it, it is Because worse. of your holdout. <laughs> Do you ever get pushback on that from people you work with? Um, so we we uh, we don't get pushback, uh, but we don't tell the the agents sort of because it can get confusing. Part of running a double blind A/B test is that it's blind on both sides. Right. Um, but the the admins know, um, and we go back and tell the agents after. Here's what happened, and we actually send automated emails, and we uh, we give people access to a dashboard where they can see these things. But uh, we don't want to raise suspicions too quickly and potentially affect people's behavior. Got it. So that's one strategy. I mean, the, the, I'm kind of curious, like, are there other strategies to knowing if you're improving or not that are maybe, like, like let's pretend we we're doing something really high touch, right, or, like, really expensive where you're like, wow, I really don't want to make more mistakes 1% of the time. What other options do you have? Are there other yeah, options? I mean, uh, I, this is maybe uh, bland, but surveys and NPS and, and uh, asking people for their opinions, uh, making sure we, we leave a feedback button on every single suggestion, mm -hmm. uh, which we do. And uh, hopefully people use that in part. It's a very strong signal that feeds back into our AI, yeah. which is great. But also, it uh, gives people an opportunity to be heard uh, and is a very strong signal, like I said. So what we do um, is uh, there's a few of us in the office that know the best tools that we should be using at all times, and we're testing them and, and making the decision whether this is something we should use in our scraping or normalizing operation. We'll pass them down to agents that are very senior uh, that we think uh, need to be trained on each of these tools that we deploy, 
if uh, the tool becomes something that we continue to use, we'll pass it downstream. So uh, agents that uh, are now working on workflows, um, and we measure it. Uh, you mentioned this in your opening um, um, talk that uh, the gongs, the fin, everybody is now measure everything, use the best tools, have to, uh, train people, and then just see what happens and make a decision based on that. Uh, if it becomes easy enough to use, repeatable enough, and the pricing makes sense, we'll then send it to uh, what is essentially like production, like a factory, uh, where people are now using it in their daily workflows. Fair enough. So when you look, think about the next few years, right, um, and you think about how measurement will change, right, or what you'll be doing in a few years that you're not doing today from a measurement perspective, what, what comes to mind? Like, what are the things you're like, man, I wish this existed or worked better or in, in the current form? For me, I think, um, so right now I mentioned uh, there are some things that we automate. Um, I should mention every time that we go uh, inside the firewall for a company, we end up training our models uh, exclusively on, on their data sets. Um, but it's kind of hard to construct labeled data sets from all this unstructured data. For things that we're automating, it's a little bit easier. So at training time, you can actually evaluate how well you're doing, and it maps out almost one-to-one -one with how it ends up performing um, in practice. For things where you're automating, uh, you're augmenting people, excuse me, um, it's tougher. And so a lot of it ends up being we have to potentially manually label some, some data first and then evaluate how well we're doing at training time. As we get access to more and more companies and our models improve and our capability of tagging things improves, um, we're able to kind of mimic what we're doing where we automate things which is at training time know pretty much exactly how we're going to affect handle time, um, uh, be accurate, how often, all that stuff. I, I see that happening in the next couple of years. For us, it's a very specific problem. Fair enough. Um, I'll say two things that um, I can see are going to be happening soon. Uh, one is like better scaffolding. I feel all the tooling to launch all these things, we have to do a lot of our own. Um, I think. They need to be unified in some sort of way that we can launch these processes uh, in an easier way. Uh, the second one is getting like the, the you don't know what you don't know argument, like a lot, so Finn suggesting what we're doing wrong, what could be done better. Um, and this is gonna come when these systems have enough data and they're standardized enough, like all of a sudden them suggesting to us um, how we could improve this stuff. Um, that's it. Fair enough. So how do you guys think about like, you know, from a tenure adjustment perspective, when you start adjusting these patterns, I'm kind of curious, like, how much data you really need, right, to drive insights. This is something I've experienced, right, which is you start with these very large numbers, right, and then you cut things down by tenure, and then you cut things down by workflow, and then you cut things down, and you kind of get, you get to these, like, sample sizes that can be quite small, right, in some cases, even with big starting points. Like, have you guys have any rules of thumbs or directions in terms of when you're trying to measure these hybrid systems that are quite complicated and you're kind of getting chopped down in terms of what you look at? Like, how much data you really need in order to make real judgments about how things are performing? Um, with us, I think it's going to grow. Uh, the more <laughs> customers, the more sectors, the more segments we're dealing with. Um, I, I, I mean, this gets into our vision and where we're going, but I'd love for us to, at some point, have uh, be generating daily uh, these very customized data sets. So this, like, is a snack sold at Whole Foods? Is a snack sold at Whole Foods uh, in this zip code? 
Uh, how do you build a system that you can request for this data and put it in the system? Uh, and that, for us, that becomes a competitive advantage. Mm -hmm. So I'm looking uh, at simplifying everything so that we can source as much data as possible. Yeah. Um, right now, for us, obviously, the more data, the better. Um, of course. Yeah, but um, at, at the scale of companies that we're targeting, uh, roughly speaking, you have to have at least 20 support agents. It's kind of a rule of thumb. We've broken that a few times, but that's it's kind of the minimum. And then some um, number of thousands of tickets a week. In practice, it's never not been enough um, in those organizations. And um, so we, we haven't exactly tested the limit, but uh, roughly, I think we need 25,000 high quality tickets. Um, would be great to, to bring that down. Uh, we've experimented with a lot of data augmentation techniques, which are pretty cool and involve some transfer learning from some other domains, and that's only going to get better. Um, but in, in practice, uh, I think everybody's getting on, on these platforms, and there's a lot more data being generated that I, I don't see it being a bottleneck for much longer. Fair enough. Great, guys. We'll talk more about this at beers.